Well, good morning, church. Um, the title of this morning's sermon is Cleanse Yourself for Good Works, and our text is 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 26. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 26. If you have a Bible, you can start finding it. Um, and we are, this morning, well into our sermon series on 2 Timothy, which is a book, as we know, written by the Apostle Paul to his buddy, Timothy, who's a pastor at Ephesus. And um, Timothy's got some problems in his church at Ephesus. Um, he's got a couple of guys uh, stirring up some trouble. Um, Hymenaeus and Philetus, or if you're like me and you have a hard time with Greek names, Jaime and Phil, which I think fit you know, the Miami context a little better. So you know, Jaime and Phil are there in Ephesus stirring up controversy. They're causing quarrels, fights, and they're questioning Paul and Timothy's authority in the church. Um, and so we're going to dig into this passage a little bit as, as Paul is giving Timothy some instructions on how to deal with these guys and those that are, that are um, being stirred up and led astray by Jaime and Phil. And as we dig into the passage, I just want to make one thing very clear, that even though this was written to a pastor at a church on the other side of the world some 2,000 years ago, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us today. Um, in fact, um, the, the kind of problems that Timothy was having in the church of these, um, this tendency to stir up quarrels, he's questioning authority, um, it's incredibly relevant today in 21st century uh, Florida and South Florida. And, you know, while Jaime and Phil may have been real people, they weren't called, you know, Hymenaeus and Philetus, all right? Um, while Jaime and Phil may have been real people in Timothy's church, um, they're the air we breathe today in this culture of social media and a culture of 24-hour news cycles we are surrounded by never-ending sources of controversy and outrage. We carry them around in our pockets. We, um, we see them in, the, in you know, wherever we go to eat. There's TVs blaring at us. And, um, and our culture celebrates those who shout down and shame people who disagree with them, as opposed to those who, who seek to understand before being understood. And um, this is a problem our culture has. Um, social media simply... Um, amplifies it and allows us to shout even more loudly when we're doing that, um, and our culture does that. And so I want to encourage you this morning to pay close attention, because I really do believe that God has a unique message for this church this morning um, from this passage, and, uh, and I, I pray that we would be able to hear and receive just as well as Timothy and his church did um, some thousands of years ago. Um, so, so let's read Second Timothy 2, verse 20 through 26. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that, that, that we are your house, that this church is your place. 
Lord God, that we are your people, and that you have set aside a people for your own possession. You have created us and called us and set us aside for good works. God, you have set us aside for honorable use, Lord. And I pray that, that as, we, as we lean in this morning and listen to your word preached, we listen to your word unfolded before us, God, I pray that we would, we would listen carefully, that we would listen and be, um, be changed by your word and be encouraged by your word. Um, and God, that you would move this morning um, through your words uh, to us this morning. Amen. Well, in, um, in last week's sermon, Al was, was unpacking Paul uh, as he was describing the church as a building with an unshakable foundation, right? The church is a building with an unshakable foundation. And then this morning, um, this passage is, is taking that, Timothy, uh, Paul is taking that, that illustration of a building and taking us inside the building. We're going to open up the cupboards of this great house that is the church. And as we open up the cupboards in this great house, we find, like in any good first century home, um, the same kind of things typically that you might have in your cupboards, right? You open it up, you're going to have bowls and plates, forks, spoons, knives, cups, all types of materials that you would be using to display food, to serve food. And um, the same is true in first century Ephesus where Timothy is ministering, right? We have a picture here, actually. This would be um, a kind of gold or silver vessel that you would... This is gold, right? All right, gold is that color. Um, This would be a gold vessel, um, which Timothy, uh, with Paul, is referring to here, which is uh, a priceless, very precious um, bowl that's used to display food and serve food to um, guests when they arrive. And it would be treasured, it would be put aside, it would be part of a set, it wouldn't just be one bowl, but you'd have a set of vessels that you would be using um, when people visit. Then you'd have also um, other vessels in a house, um, that this would be one of them, it's a, it's a wood vessel or clay vessel, and um, these are not used for quite so honorable a purpose. Um, you would use them to put trash in as you're preparing your meal, um, you'd wash the feet of travelers as they come into your house, which would be a filthy, dirty job. Um, and this is kind of gross. It also used as a sort of um, bedpan, if you would, right? It's, a, it's their toilet. They would use the restroom in it, take it outside, and, uh, and get rid of it. And in the great house, in a very fancy home, you'd have several of these, and they would be sort of um, semi-disposable. So you maybe wash it once or twice. When it gets really filthy, you just burn it, you trash it, um, you bury it. It's not something that you're going to keep around and put on display for everyone in the house to see, right? Hopefully. Um, and so it is in the church, we have gold and silver vessels, and those are um, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, we see in verse 22, um, they've been set aside by God for good works. And then we also have um, silver, I mean, we have the wood and clay garbage bowls, which for Timothy were Jaime and Phil and all of their crew of troublemakers, right? These are, these are people who are causing trouble, they're, um, they're full of garbage, right? And um, the problem is, that some of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, some of the true Christians in the church, are getting mixed up in the quarrels and fights and problems that Jaime and Phil are stirring up, and that, um, that garbage and human waste that's supposed to be in these wooden bowls is getting splashed around and getting all over these golden vessels for honorable use. And so we find that these gold vessels that are supposed to be used to display God's beauty, to be used to display the good fruit of the gospel, are covered in filth, and they're useless because you can't take a gold bowl that's been filled with trash and put it on the table. Um, And so Paul's telling Timothy, cleanse yourself and be ready for good works. Cleanse yourself and be ready for good works. And so we're going to dig in this morning in two parts. We're going to talk about what does it mean to cleanse yourself, 
And what are these good works that we are to be cleansing ourselves for? So cleanse yourself for good works. So let's start with cleanse yourself. Cleanse um, yourself. Cleanse is not a word that I use very often. Um, I've never told my kids, like, hey, baby, go jump, you know, baby, my, you know, Mary, you know, go jump in the bathtub and cleanse yourself and get ready for bed. It's, it's a little bit more intense than just to wash or to clean. Cleanse has a, a, a connotation more like purge. Um, it's a deeper clean. Uh, and the only other time that I've ever used that in my everyday language would be a few years ago, I was looking into doing like a juice cleanse. Has anybody ever done a juice cleanse before? Okay, so I didn't do it. I'm kind of a wimp, but I did look into it. So I get like maybe two points for that. Um, so, so a juice cleanse, the idea is you, you go on a strict diet um, for anywhere from a few days to maybe a month, and you, you drink things and eat things that purge your body of toxins, right? So as you're, as you're taking on these, these juices, they cleanse you out, um, but they, they don't just purge your body of toxins. They also fill you up with, um, with nutrients, the kind of nutrients that your body needs to function correctly. And so it is that Paul is telling Timothy and his church to cleanse yourself, go on a sort of spiritual juice cleanse, purge yourself of that which is spiritually toxic, and fill yourself up with the nutrients of the gospel and those things that, that fill us with, um, with the power and, and allow us to operate the way that we were designed to operate. And so in verse 22, we read that he says, flee youthful passions. And so um, he says, flee youthful passions, then go on to list um, some of the things that we are to ingest. So let's talk for a sec about what this means, flee youthful passions. Because again, this is one thing that, you know, when I hear flee youthful passions, I've grown up in the church, and um, I've always thought and understood that to mean flee sexual lust, flee sexual immorality. Um, which is often the way this has been used. It's the way that I would typically read this when I've read through it before. But as we look at the passage and we look at the context where Timothy is ministering, the issues that he's having in his church, um, sexual immorality wasn't the primary problem that he was struggling with. It wasn't the issue at the forefront of what he was dealing with with these false teachers. The youthful passions here aren't lust, but they're a, a temptation to get engaged in foolish, pointless controversy, and to have a harsh, quarrelsome spirit. And so we see in verse 23, it says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Literally, that means moronic or or stupid, ignorant questions, is what he's saying. Have nothing to do with stupid, ignorant questions, for you know that they breed quarrels. They breed quarrels. So the true believers in Timothy's church they were getting wrapped up in arguing with Jaime and Phil and all of their, their crew about stupid, ignorant questions that were distracting them from the life-giving hope of the gospel. And, um, and this church, this really is, um, it is the air that we breathe. It's, it's, the, um, it's what's all around us today in an age of social media and an age of 24-hour news cycles. And, and you know, we're presented often, we, we, we're, we're constantly bombarded with these these outrageous statements, these controversies from everything from politics um, to parenting and everything in between the color of a dress apparently is something that we get upset about, right? There's, there's, there's always something to be outraged about. And it's not, it's not an accident that, it's, that it is that way. There are really two things that drive engagement um, in social media. Things that make you feel good, like cat videos and pictures of your grandkids, which we all like, you know, videos of cats playing pianos or grandkids playing pianos with cats, um, the point is, happy things engage us, right? But the other thing that engages us is, is controversy. And, you know, 
people know this. That's why we have what's called clickbait. It's, it's out there to, to drive you. It's controversial. It's something that, you, that, that um, stirs you up and makes you want to get involved. And so, um, you know, we have a whole culture and subculture that's built around engaging in controversy. And, um, and that's intended to stir us up emotionally and engage us in quarrels. And these are the perfect conditions um, for something called a troll to exist. If you're on the internet, you know what that is. It's not, a, um, it's not those little dolls with the frizzy hair. That's not, a, that's not the troll that I'm talking about. Trolls are um, people who um, intentionally push the boundaries. They're constantly pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable, um, intentionally provocative for the purpose of stirring up controversy. Right? They, they, they love quarrels and controversy for the sake of quarrels and controversy. Um, they ask questions, but they're not in search of the truth. They ask questions to cause controversy. Um, and in Ephesus, Jaime and Phil, they were trolls. They were spiritual trolls in the church. And, um, and it, perhaps you might have someone in your life, um, whether it's in your family, um, at work, or perhaps in your social network, who, who is this way. They, they push the boundaries for the sake of, of causing controversy, not really for the sake of finding solutions or answers. Um, and... And, um, and so in this passage, we're not told simply to avoid the person altogether, which is surprising. You might think that he just says, you know, avoid them altogether, have nothing to do with anyone who's like this. Because in verse 25, Timothy is actually told to correct these people with gentleness and kindness. But we are t- told to stay out of the controversy. Um, so if we look, um, so for example, in, in Proverbs 26.4, Scripture says, Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him himself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. It seems kind of contradictory. Do we answer a fool or we do not answer a fool? The point here is, you know, don't sink down to their level. There's a, there's a saying, don't feed the trolls. Don't get down and do the same things they're doing, engaging in that controversy, getting your hands dirty in the, in the, in the filth of the argument. Instead, let your life display the gospel. Um, let your speech reflect what is true and what is right. Um, oftentimes this means leaving the quarrel itself and addressing the person in private. Um, you know, and when we address them in private, do that with patience and gentleness. This is a difficult thing to do on an open platform like Facebook, for example. Um, it's very hard to address someone in private on a comment stream because the whole world can see it, right? Um, but here it says you know, to, to address them in private and, and when, if there is an issue affecting the church, perhaps an issue of spiritual health that's, that's involved in the church, bring it to your pastors. Um, but, you know, the problem here, the problem with foolish controversy is that they distract us from the gospel. They distract us from, from, what's, from the good news of what Christ has done for us. And, and when we take up the quarrelsome attitude and tone of Jaime and Phil and the trolls, what we're doing is, is we're taking those precious golden vessels that have been created for good works and we're filling them with garbage, and then we're putting that on display for the whole world to see. And so instead of getting our lives filthy with foolish, filthy arguments and quarrels, our lives and our tone and our speech should display the gospel. And guys, this is tricky. I know this is hard and this is messy um, because not every quarrel and controversy is the result of a troll, right? Oftentimes, especially in in the age that we live in, um, something well-intentioned gets misinterpreted, um, it gets uh, blown out of proportion, it gets misunderstood, um, and you know, we, we don't have the benefit on um, digital media 
to have the face-to-face interaction where you can see someone's facial expression, what they're, what they're really trying to say. We, we can't feed back. We don't even necessarily have the benefit of knowing who it is that we're talking to. Oftentimes, you know, people come in that, well, I have no idea that you were even on my network. And, and now that something comes, uh, becomes much bigger than it ever was intended to be. And, and you know, this is, this is why, guys, my encouragement and, and, and all I, I want to say about more this morning on this is, is that I think it's especially important for us to be more careful on social media than we would be in person for exactly this reason. We, we don't have the benefit of, of personal interaction. Um, and, and we also need to be more patient with each other when interacting on social media because we, we, a lot of times we misunderstand one another. It's easy to misunderstand and be misunderstood. And we, as, of all people, as Christians, as a church, should be those who are patient and understanding and listening and trying to find good motives and not bad motives. And also because, because this is a platform, these platforms in particular are those where the entire world is watching us. Um, you know, an interaction that might be um, appropriate or we might have in a small group setting where it's between people who understand each other, who have a relationship, is very different when you take that conversation, you put it out on a platform where everybody can see. And so we need to be, be more careful and, and more thoughtful about the way we speak, the way we interact on these sort of environments. And I, I did, I struggled a lot with how much to say and how far to go with this, because there's a lot here, right? And there's, it's complex. And, um, and so, so, you know, what I'm going to say is, is, is come to community group this week. <laughs> and let's talk about it. Let's discuss. What, what does it look like? How do, how do we know when, when we're engaging with somebody who is a Hymenaeus and Philetus, right? How do we know if we're engaging with Jaime and Phil or if we're just engaging with somebody who maybe is misunderstood, how do we know that? How do we, how do we figure that out? How do we know um, when we're being a little bit like Jaime and Phil um, or not? And, and um, I encourage you, come to community group this week, and, and I, I, I bet you anything it's not going to be a boring conversation because um, this is complex, and it's emotional, and it's sensitive. And I, I hope that as a church, we can, we can learn together as we grow in this area of how we apply God's word to every area of our lives. Um, that being said, this is not just a social media issue. You know, this is, you know, Jaime, Phil, and Timothy, they weren't on Facebook. Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, they didn't have Twitter. Um, you know, these are, these are principles that apply in all of our lives. Um, this is true uh, at the office, it's true at school, it's true in your home. Um, you know, it, it, Facebook and, and Twitter and, and social media they simply give us a, a really loud megaphone to shout all the things that we're already saying and thinking. Um, and so, you know, if you're not on Facebook, if you're not in, in social media, that doesn't mean there's nothing here for you. It doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. Um, we, we, we apply these things to, to every area of our lives. And so, um, and so it is. So I'm going to leave that there, and we're going to go back to this analogy of a juice cleanse, where, um, you know, simply removing the toxins isn't enough. All right? Just purging out what's bad, and if you don't fill yourself back up with the nutrients that you need to, to do what God has given you to do, um, you're just going to become emaciated. You're going to be worse than you did when you started off, right? And so as we cleanse ourselves of youthful passion, of engaging in foolish controversies, and of the harsh, quarrelsome spirit of the trolls, we then, um, we then fill ourselves up in verse 22. We fill ourselves up with righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So as we flee, flee youthful passions, we fill back up with this, which is really, it's the, um, it's the ingredients list of our spiritual cleanse, right? Of our spiritual juice cleanse. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then in verse 24, Paul goes on to list some additional 
um, ingredients specific to Paul in his context as a pastor at Ephesus. And so in verse 24, um, he said, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And while this is specific to Timothy in his context as a pastor, we can receive this as well as an example, as our pastors are examples for us, um, and the way that we should be acting as well. And so, so these ingredients, what you find as you look at what this ingredients list makes up, is a picture of someone um, who is the complete opposite of the trolls that we talked about earlier, the, the complete opposite of those, those who stir up foolish controversy. Um, we see a picture of someone who's working to stir up peace, love, and unity. Um, so in Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold fast to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up for good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so instead of stirring up controversy, God's people are called to stir up something quite different. We're called to stir one another up to love and good works. And we do this um, because we are holding fast to the hope that we profess, that he who promised is faithful, that, that, that Christ has been faithful to us, and so we can be kind and patient with one another. And so we stir one another up to righteousness, faith, love, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness. Um, I know that the ladies in our community group, they have a WhatsApp group where they uh, are often sending um, messages to each other, encouraging notes, prayer requests. Um, you know, Melinda's phone, I always look over and there's like 300 notifications. I'm like, well, nobody loved me. Um, you know, because, I mean, we have one for the guys, but it's, it's not quite as sanctified. Um, <laughs> But that's beautiful because they're encouraging one another. They're using the tools that God has given us to stir one another up for righteousness, to encourage one another in the faith, to, um, to encourage one another to love and good works. You see, this is a mission that we are on together. It doesn't say you are a house. It says the church is a house, and in it are these vessels. And you go back and you look in a cupboard, there's not just one vessel, it's vessels. It's a, you, have, you have vessels of all different sizes and colors, all different shapes. You have silver and gold, you have plates, you have bowls, you have serving trays. And so, in the church, we all have different, different um, uses, we all have uh, different strengths, and, and we need one another. We need one another as we, as we move forward in the gospel, as we, as we look to, to, to um, stir one another up to love and good works. And you know, these vessels, as they're, if, you, if you keep them in the cupboard, it's really not any use either, right? You can't, if you have a beautiful array of plates and, and beautiful golden bowls and you keep them all locked away in a cupboard and you never take them out, um, well, they're useless. They're useless. And so, too, we were created to be used. Um, his work doesn't end with just making us holy and beautiful and then we put aside and put away for some other time. You know, we're, we, we cleanse ourselves for good works, and so it is that we cleanse ourselves, not for just the sake of cleansing, but we cleanse ourselves for good works. So in verse 21, um, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. So we cleanse ourselves for every good work. And what are these every good works that we're to cleanse ourselves for? In verse 25, we find out some of this. It says, God may perhaps grant them, and the them there is Jaime and Phil, these trolls, the the ones that we're fighting against, God may perhaps grant them repentance. That's a twist. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see, God is working in the hearts of those that we see as our enemies. He's working in their hearts, and often in ways that we don't see. And, and he says, there's a hope here that those very people that we see as our enemies, as opponents of the gospel, that God might perhaps grant them repentance. In verse 25 here, it says, you know, that they may come to their senses. And that literally means that they may be sobered up. The idea here is that they're intoxicated. They're drunk with the... Um, the controversies that they've been stirring up. They're drunk and and snared and captured by Satan. And God is here rousing them from that drunken stupor, using us to stir them up out of that drunken stupor. And and it's interesting that that Jaime and Phil, they're not described here as as Timothy's enemies, but as victims of his enemy. You notice that? It doesn't say that they are the enemy. It says your enemy is is Satan himself, and they are victims. They are those that have been captured. They've been ensnared. They've been... intoxicated by him. And, um, and so it is that he wants to set them free and use us as a part of that. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a lesson there that our attitude as well with those that disagree with us, with those that perhaps are even um, opposing the gospel. Our attitude should be one of compassion and pity and kindness because they're not ultimately our enemy. They may be opposing us, but ultimately our enemy is the one who has ensnared them and captured them, just like we were once ensnared and captured by Satan ourselves. Ephesians 10 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We were once following the power, the prince, that's Satan. We were once also like Jaime and Phil, entrapped, dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And friends, that is our hope for those that are fighting against us, for those that perhaps are like Jaime and Phil and that are opposing the gospel, we have a hope that God um, will set them free as he did set up free. And, and, and the beautiful thing here is that he's, he's engaged us to participate in that work. Um, there's a phrase here that says that uh, may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That phrase, captured by him, that idea of being captured by Satan, it's only used one other place in the New Testament. And it's in, it's in Luke, where Jesus calls Simon Peter. He, does a, he performs a miracle, and then uh, where they bring in a whole bunch of fish, and the, fish, the boat's about to sink, and Simon Peter falls on his face before the Lord, and Jesus says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And that phrase, catching men, is the same word used here. It literally means you will be capturing men alive. And so as Christians, we are called to capture men alive, to be those that, you know, this is like SEAL Team 6, uh, Operation Gospel Freedom. We're going out and capturing men alive. We're being sent out to rescue those who have been ensnared and entrapped by, by our enemy, by Satan. And just like any good SEAL team, you know, we're to go out fully equipped and prepared. And so in Ephesians 2.10, a little bit further down in the passage we were reading a moment ago, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we are to walk in them. See, these good works that we are, um, that we are called to do, We are to prepare ourselves for it. It says be prepared for good works. And here we see the good works have been prepared for us. So we're we're to prepare ourselves for good works that God has already prepared for us. We're to go in the field with a confidence because we have already got a God who's got a victory for us. This is his work that he is doing. And and you have been carefully prepared, carefully positioned, um, inserted into enemy territory 
to rescue prisoners from Satan who have been intoxicated, ensnared, and captured. And whether that's at home, you know, you're, you're, perhaps you're a mother at home and you're working with your kids, and, um, well, <laughs> it doesn't always go the way that you think it should go, right? They, um, you know, your kids are crying, they're screaming, they don't want to do their schoolwork. Um, you know, that, that mom comes over with her kids for a play date and their kids are sick and now your kids are all sick. And, um, you know, guys, this is, this is a mission field. This is, this, is, this is an insertion. You've been carefully positioned and prepared for that context to minister the gospel and to reflect Christ um, to your children, to those in your community that you're involved with, you're engaging with, in the office, in your class, um, when your coworker, your boss, perhaps your teacher isn't treating you fairly. The way we respond and engage is part of our mission. We're not just there for a paycheck or a diploma. We're there to put the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness on display. And so it is true as well in our, in our social networks, right? We are, we are positioned there strategically as God's people. It's not that we just disengage and shut off and close all our accounts, but that we engage in a way that stirs the world up to love and good works, that reminds them of what Christ has done. And those that are, that are ensnared and intoxicated by Satan, that we would, we would be a part of God's work rousing them from their, from their intoxication as we display who he is and what he's done. And, you know, there may be some as well this morning who, who perhaps, you know, we talked about at home, but maybe your kids are out of the house and they've moved on. Um, and I just, I just had a real burden as I was preparing and even praying about this this morning that um, there may be some who have adult children who are out of the house and are, you, you look at them and you see they're intoxicated by the world. Um, and it's discouraging. Um, you look at them and you see that they are, they are, they are ensnared and entrapped by Satan. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you this morning that your job, your job's not over. Um, you haven't been pulled out of the field. You're still in it. Um, and, I, and I can tell you from my own experience, um, I, I've watched my parents be transformed by the gospel. I mean, they, they've been Christians since I was young, but, but I've watched God transform them by the gospel. And the effect that that's had on their adult children who are out of the house is incredible. Um, God, God can continue to use us even when, um, when we think we're not being used, when we think that you know, what we're doing has nothing to do with God's mission. He, is, he, is, um, he has positioned us and calls us to, be, to apply this in every area of our life because you never know when, when God is going to use um, your life and the change that he's doing in you to affect those that are around you. So you might be tempted at this point, and I, I certainly am, to look at this passage and look at, at everything we've talked about and be discouraged <laughs> Um, by the standard that's being set here. Um, as I look at this list, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, have nothing to do with foolish controversies. To not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. I mean, I've, prob- I've, I've already screwed that one up this morning. I can guarantee you that. Um, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness, set apart and useful. I mean, this is a high standard, church. This is a high standard. And if it's overwhelming, you're probably interpreting it correctly. <laughs> See, there's only one person who has ever met this standard. That's Jesus Christ himself. There's only one man who's ever walked on this earth and has met this standard. And that's Christ Jesus. And he has, he has, he has done every step of this correctly. He is the righteous one. He is the one who is full of perfect faith. He is love incarnate. He is the prince of peace. You know, when he was struck, he was patient with his accusers and silent before the shears. And so we 
we, we, we see that Jesus is, is, is the motive and the comfort for us. It's both the motive and our power to obey the commands that we've been given. Um, his finished work on the cross, his righteous life that he lived in our place, um, his death on the cross to atone for our sins, his resurrection from the dead to prove that he conquered sin and death, that he has conquered that enemy, Satan, and his resurrection to heaven to wait for us when we will return. He will return and bring us and we will be like him. Guys, this is our hope and our comfort that, that he has finished what he started and that, that we have his power to obey his commands. And Ephesians 4.23 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, we forgive and patiently endure because God in Christ forgave us. We walk in love because Christ has loved us. We pursue peace because we serve the Prince of Peace. And we pursue righteousness because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. These aren't things that that are foreign to us, that are outside of us, that we somehow have to make our own. These are things that God has given us, that is put inside of us, that we're called to stir up. We're called to stir them up. We can only give what we've already received from the Lord. We can only imitate what we've already seen in him. And so we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, not not out of a fear that if we don't do this correctly, that if we screw this up, we might lose God's favor. Instead, we press on because we have a confidence of what God has already done. We press on because we're confident we already have his favor. We already have it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Guys, he has created you for this. He's made you for this, and he is equipping you for this and preparing you. And he's the one who's doing the work. We're not the ones who save Hymenaeus and Philetus, right? We're not the one who rescue the captives. God is the one who does the rescue. He's using us, but it is his work. And so we are, as his beloved children, follow him. We display and we put his, um, his immeasurable riches on display in our lives. And I, one other thing is just, you know, these, these works are not an end in themselves, right? The purpose of these works isn't just to, to be holy and to be good Christian kids and boys and girls and men and women, but, but it's to display Christ. Um, it's to, it's to, to, rich, to, to, to re- relish in him and enjoy him. And, um, and they come out of a gratitude and a longing for Christ himself. And if you're here this morning and, and perhaps you don't have that hope and you've never bowed your, your knee like Simon Peter on the boat, you never laid yourself down before God and, 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 and your life isn't submitted to him, the Bible says that one day we will be tested by fire and, and those vessels that are gold and silver will endure and they will make it through, but those that are wood and clay will be consumed. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would repent and bow your knee before God, that he might give you a new heart, and that you might have this hope that is everlasting you'll be able to trust in this God who is merciful and patient and who equips us to do the work that he has for us. So let's press on, church. Let's press on with hope. Let's press on with joy. Let's press on as those who have been filled with the good fruit of the gospel. Those golden vessels have been prepared and created for this, that we might display the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you that we are your workmanship, Lord, that this is your work, that you have called us, that you have created us. Father, this isn't something that we have to stir up on our own. This isn't a work that we have to do um, in our own strength. But God, this is something that you are doing, Lord, just as you are the one who is saving um, and rescuing 
rescuing those who are in darkness and bringing them into light, Lord God. You are the one who is working in us. You are the one who is, who is pursuing us and, 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 and giving us the power to be imitators of you, Lord. Lord, your immeasurable riches of grace and kindness are what on display in our lives, Lord. And, and you're the only one who can fill us with those. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would fill your church with the hope of the gospel, Lord. That you would fill us with, with a hope that, that cannot be lost, an inheritance that we, can, we did not earn and we can never lose. And God, that we are filled, that we'd be filled this morning with the hope of the gospel to flee foolish controversies, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That you would prepare us to set captives free. Amen.